0: Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lord God, although our iniquities testify against us, act. Act, O Lord, for your name's sake. Forgive us. Have mercy on us, us poor sinners. Change us by this healing promise of your word. Strengthen us by the resurrection of your Son and prepare us for the world in the week to come. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What makes us right? Is it that we we know the answer to the question that our boss or our spouse most recently asked us? Is it that we we always know to say the right thing at the the right time to keep from stepping on anyone's toes or, even worse, causing more harm than help? Is it by knowing our history and our trivia and being able to regurgitate facts and figures that even the most diligent of fact-checkers can't dispute? What makes us right. Preparing for this sermon, I came across a commentary from the president of uh, Philadelphia Seminary, uh, Reverend Dr. David Loos. And he pointed out something that, uh, that Becca lifted up in her children's sermon, uh, even if she didn't intend to. This Pharisee in our gospel lesson this morning, he was right. Even more than that, he was righteous. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like thieves or rogues, like adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Isn't it right to be able to claim that we don't steal, that we don't practice deceit or adultery, or that we don't use our profession to take advantage of others? Insofar as we actually can say all of that, it is a good thing. This Pharisee in Jesus' parable has followed the law. He's kept the Ten Commandments. And he's even been an upright and pious Jew. He fasts regularly. He tithes to the temple. He does all of the right things. This Pharisee did all of the things that mark one as a righteous person and was correct in lifting up those characteristics as a model for both Jewish and Christian living. So then why is it when we hear this parable, we automatically throw this Pharisee under the bus? Why did Jesus tell this parable? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. This Pharisee, for all of his praying, for his piety, he continued to lift up his own achievements His own standing in life, proudly looking up to heaven as if proving to God all of the reasons that he should continue to be blessed. He knew that he was righteous and he believed that he had himself to thank. I've been a good Pharisee. I've been a good Jew. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I am righteous. Look at me. Now, I know what you may be thinking. We don't We do not do that. We know how important Jesus concerns the matter of humility, how important it is to not puff ourselves up so much. Of course, we don't do that. But But being mindful of the time of year and the political climate we live in here less than three weeks away from an election, I'd be willing to bet that being a good Democrat or being a good Republican or being a good American has been lifted up as boastful prideful look at me and what I do by some if if not by all of us it could have gone something like this I plan to vote I know what's right and what's wrong your candidate my opponent is a crook and a thief and a horrible representative for our country and I'm standing on the principles of my party they have the answer Praise be to God that I'm not a Republican. Praise be to God that I'm not a Democrat. I can't see how anyone in their right mind would live in such squalor and support this or that or the other. But does that make us right? Are we right when at the expense of others we build ourselves up? Are we right when we stand on our own opinions, our own principles, and our own allegiances and say, God, look at how good I'm doing. Bless me more. Of course the answer is no. Not because we're supposed to throw our convictions out the window or because we continue to ask God for guidance and blessing. But in those moments when we tear down others to build ourselves up, what we're actually doing is mimicking this Pharisee, trusting in ourselves more than the God who calls us and claims us to be more. To be more than Democrat or Republican. To be more than left or right. Because what God calls us to is to be faithful witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. To stand up in the midst of a crowd and speak out in the intimate conversations that we have as friends and family. To name the sinfulness that exists both in our own lives and in the world around us. And in the speech and the actions of those whom God has equipped to lead us. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us, for we are sinners. Our hope and everything that we are hangs on this forgiveness, on this mercy, on what God does to turn us away from the evils of this world and turn us toward a life of gratitude and righteousness and dependence on God in all things, not on ourselves. deliver us from evil, right? Unfortunately, around this time of year, we, we tend to think that all that we are is, is wrapped up in what happens on a single day. And we place all of this time and this energy in making sure that our party, the candidate, the platform that we most agree with wins out over the other. And you see, we have a serious problem when we place and invest so much stock, so much so that our hopes and our dreams are wrapped up in one woman or one man running for political office. When our future and our fulfillment are wrapped up in who wins an election and our efforts are spent vilifying one or the other for this or that, our relationships with one another are broken because we just can't listen to our brother or our sister talk about politics anymore. And so we split ourselves off. We shut ourselves down. We get angry. When those times come, can we any longer say at the end of the day, thank God I'm not like this or that? At the end of the day, can we look at ourselves and look at God and proclaim, as Paul did in our reading from 2 Timothy, we have fought the good fight, and we finished the race. When we've been bitter and spiteful against a candidate or our neighbors, the neighbors who support them, or we've painted our own selves as having the moral high ground, and we distance ourselves from the neighbor who stands in the corner, beating their breast in anguish, can we then on the heels of those comments say in the same breath, we have kept the faith, Can we truly look to God this day and every day and remember this tax collector standing far off so ashamed to even look up to God confessing all that he is and all that he isn't. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This tax collector has come into the temple ashamed of himself, tormented in misery because of his actions and his failings, and he recognizes that God alone can be merciful, that God alone can save, and so he prays for forgiveness, for mercy, and for change to happen in his life by God's power, by God's grace. Because when we think that hanging on to every word of our party's political representative is gospel truth, We're not running the race of faith. If we think that the world is going to end, if that person we just cannot stand gets elected, then do we really believe that God will preserve us in faithfulness and come to our defense even when everyone else has abandoned us and we find ourselves alone? Do we really believe in the power of Jesus' words, your sins are forgiven and you are set free? Do we really believe that God will be with us and preserve us in all things? Because what Paul's talking about in Second Timothy isn't being successful or being the most powerful or being hardworking or the smartest or the richest or the like. And what Jesus is talking about isn't just about being humble in our relationships with one another. They're talking about being faithful, about looking on the race that they've run and seeing that the Holy Spirit has been the one to guide them has been the one to guide us every step of the way. They're talking about being humble before God, admitting that our futures ultimately are out of our control and that every step we take and every breath we breathe is dependent on the God who reaches down for us into the depths of sin and pulls us out into a new and a better life. They're talking about seeing each and every day of our lives being transformed by the baptism that we share, buried in death with Jesus and raised with him in resurrection, not just for the life to come, but for the here and now as a changed, holy, faithful people. Because what we have been given is the strength to walk over to tax collectors and sinners whom we see around us and show them God's mercy. What we have been given is the opportunity to confess our sinfulness to the very people whom we disagree with and to stick together with one another even when the ballot box would attempt to divide us. Because we believe that Jesus Christ has died, is risen, and will come again, we trust and cling to the the God of the promise That says, whatever happens in this world, I will be with you. I will guide you to safety and I will give you strength to be faithful. All of our stock, all of our work, all of our hope, all that we are rests in that promise. Not in the leaders or the lives we choose for ourselves, but in the God who chooses us in Christ Jesus. David Lose, the the seminary president who I mentioned earlier aptly, says in this commentary that, quote, at the end of this story, the Pharisee will leave the temple and return to his home righteous. This hasn't changed. He was righteous when he came up and righteous as he goes back down. But the tax collector, however, will leave the temple and go back down to his home justified. That is, accounted And made to be righteous by the Holy One of Israel. You see, the word for righteous and the word for justified, it's the same word. It's how they're used. He goes righteous because that's his state of being, that's who he is, but this tax collector has been made righteous. He's been changed and transformed by God. He goes down from his confession, changed and transformed into something more than what he once was. Because he recognizes and confesses that God is the one who can save. And God alone is the one who can make us holy. God alone is the one who can bind us together as one body, as one people. So when November 8th comes and goes, what will it be that binds us together? How do we go down to our homes changed into a righteous people? It definitely won't be by the ballots that we cast or by the political party we claim or even that we're carrying out our duty as Americans. What will change us is the love of God in Christ Jesus that fills us with the strength to be faithful that fills us with the strength to rely on God's promises for all things, to be God's faithful people in this world. It is God who makes us right. It is Jesus who makes us righteous, changing us to be loving, merciful, and compassionate people who can speak the truth in love and witness to the hope of new life that we have in Jesus. May the Lord God strengthen us That through us, the church, the body of Christ, the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed and shared in all the earth. Amen.